Ten days, wow. Um, this year, during this Advent season, the word meaning coming or arrival, we've been re- we're reflecting on the songs of the Advent narrative in Luke's gospel. So each song is a song of praise surrounded around Jesus' arrival, around Jesus' advent. How many people sought out Daniel to have him preach? Daniel, I talked to you last week about Mary's. Anyone? Just Myron. Just Myron. Just Myron. So that's why he's not here this Sunday. He already got the word, right? No, he couldn't be here this week. They were sad they couldn't be here. Um, so that, that, uh, that good word about Mary's song is still out there. See, Daniel. Last week we um, covered Zechariah's song. And this week, we'll reflect on the angel song, a song that has inspired multitudes of, uh, of worship down through the ages. Gloria and excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest. Uh, but, as, uh, but first, as we did last week, we want to take some time to consider the setting, the context of that famous song. And in the first seven verses, which I won't read, Um, The first seven verses of Luke chapter 2, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning, we have a remarkably brief account concerning Jesus' actual birth. uh, Luke tells us of these circumstances that conveniently were incredibly timely of a tax, a tax, uh, a taxation census that made Joseph and a very pregnant Mary, who were residing in Nazareth, take a 70-mile journey to Bethlehem, which, again, conveniently was to be, according to the prophets, the birthplace of Messiah, right? So, so when Herod went and asks, asked the scribes and the teachers of the law, where is Messiah to be born? They know that he is to be born in the city of David, the city of Bethlehem. So conveniently, God works the, the events of history in such a way that, that Joseph and Mary travel to Bethlehem. And he gives us this really shocking description of what is the most important birth of all time. I, I read uh, one quote that said, the hinge of all history is on a barn door in Bethlehem. Uh, The city is so overrun by the the census crowds that that the Son of God is apparently born in some sort of stable or barn. It doesn't actually explicitly say that. It just tells us that he is laid in a manger, this, this makeshift crib, a feeding trough, we're told Mary wrapped him in claws and, lay, and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So this very um, probably uh, poor working class young couple that is in great need is displaced and overlooked among the chaos. What a strange story. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 
I'm often reminded of this verse at this time of year. It says, "For you, Paul, the Apostle Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, right, considering all that was at his fingertips in the, glory of, in the glories of heaven, for though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And of course, that's not riches in the earthly sense, riches in the heavenly and spiritual sense. So it's this really odd, scandalous story. And, and then this, the, the, the scandalous modesty, if you will, of the story continues to who are the first receivers of the news. There are a bunch of shepherds as blue-collar, as average Joe as you could possibly get. They're living outside with their sheep. Uh, these sheep are very likely sheep. We don't know this for certain, but very likely sheep that are destined to be sacrificed in the temple in Jerusalem. But there's also something amazingly fitting about all this. Because we know that Jesus is the good shepherd of our souls. We know that Jesus is the perfect final sacrifice that will atone for sin and there will be no more blood that will need to be shed. No more blood of lambs that will need to be shed after the final lamb lays down his life for sin. And we know that he came to save the poor in spirit. But we're certainly reminded how different God's ways are than our ways. How different his thoughts and his values are than our thoughts and our values. That the most important person of all of, in all of history enters into the world with virtually no earthly resources. And no, no sense of home, no sense of comfort, no sense of status, no sense of power, but poor and a helpless infant. And he's heralded to a humble band of ruffians. In our setting, it would be like the angels not, re not visiting the Vatican, not visiting uh, a church, not visiting the White House, but going to the night shift at a gas pad to that group of guys and heralding Jesus' arrival. Luke 2, 8 through 12, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ or Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So, this apparently is very soon after Mary, this young 
girl, really. It wouldn't have been unusual for her to even have been a teenager. That just wouldn't have been unusual at the time and culture. Just delivers her baby. So moms, if you can imagine delivering your baby on the, on the floor of a barn... And, and at that moment, in, in, in those unsanitary conditions, we don't know if she had anyone maybe there with her that was maybe gracious enough to see her the delivery, whether it was just Joseph, you know, finding some water and cleaning up the baby and wrapping him up as you, as you bundle a baby up to feel secure. At that moment, an angel appears, a single, majestic, angelic, messenger. That's really, if you translate it, angel, that's kind of how it works. This idea of messenger comes to these shepherds. And they're enveloped in this brilliant Shekinah glory of God. As John Phillips writes, a light from of another world, the light that heralded the divine presence. I was thinking, if you want to see God working, go and look in places you don't expect. And look toward people you don't expect. (laughs) Look at those that the world says there's no value there. There's nothing worth seeing. There's nothing worth listening to. And it very well may be in those places and those people, if you have eyes to see, you'll see God's hand moving. The first words are words of comfort. It's an encouragement to put away fear. We we talked about fear at youth group this week. Um, We've been going through these questions that, uh, that... that psalmist, the psalmist asks. It's not always David. Um, there, there's other folks that wrote the psalms. So we're going through these questions of psalms, through the psalms, and the question we had this week was, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear, right? So it's a rhetorical question, and, and the, the, the answer that's supposed to be obvious is... What? Yeah. The answer that's supposed to be obvious is... No one. Of whom shall I fear? No one. If the Lord is your light and your salvation, whom shall you fear? No one. Um, I couldn't help but wonder, and I brought this up at youth group, that, that as, the, as the angel, singular, comes to these men, and he says, do not be afraid. Because they were terrified, and, and this is, again, very common whenever there's a celestial being that comes into the presence of men, and now the glory of God shines around this, this, this brilliant, unearthly brightness. They're terrified. And certainly the angel is speaking into that terror. You do not need to be terrified. You do not need to be afraid. My guess is that was harder to believe. <laughs> you know, like, I'll take your word for it, but... Um, you think your heart gets beaten when you see a deer in the woods, you know? But I, but, but, but I wonder, which I didn't see, some people did, but I, I, I wonder, I just can't help but think that there's something about that phrase. And, and, and just so you know, that phrase, 
different versions, it's said over a hundred times in the Bible. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Over a hundred times. And I couldn't help, as I pondered that, to think that that message of comfort to these men goes far beyond, don't be afraid right now. It was that, but it was more. And we all have fears. You know, we talked about, like, there's this emotion of, of anxiety that, you know, we what is fear? It's this emotion, it's this feeling of anxiety in the presence of what we perceive as danger. And sometimes, every once in a while, that's appropriate. Like, if dogs were chasing us, a wild pack of dogs were chasing us and I'm running, it's appropriate that my adrenaline is flowing and that I have this feeling of anxiety of danger. So we all have some rational fears. There's a lot of people that have irrational fears. It, there's actually statistics that talk about uh, worry. We talked about this on Thursday night, that, that 90 plus percent of the things people worry about don't come true. 90, that's a lot of wasted time. That's a lot of wasted energy. So we have, we have some fears that are, that are reasonable and rational, many that are irrational. But I think all of us have what I call on Thursday night a primal fear. And, and it's this fear of utter rejection. It was really cool. As I talked to the kids, I, I, said, I said, what were you afraid of when you were a kid? And well, I'm afraid of the dark. And I was afraid of tornadoes. And I was afraid of, you know, uh, of, of stepping out my foot over the bed at night and something grabbing my leg. And I said, what about now that you're a little older? What are you afraid of? What are some things that, are, that, that cause fear now? And one of the gals said, I'm afraid of being alone. And that starts touching into this primal fear, right? That I am really alone. That I'm really utterly rejected. That, that there's really, that, that life is really utterly and completely meaningless. And I'm on my own. And there's this sense of lostness that gets into our bones. And, and, and that feeling is very real. And that feeling is, is the consequence of what's come from being disconnected from the source of light and life and meaning and companionship and love and goodness. That's the natural consequence. I, I mean, life without God is terrifying. Right? It's just, it's terrifying. But life with God, you know, if dogs are chasing me, I'm scared. But alone, no. Meaningless, no. Rejected, nope. Life with God, I hear, I hear God say a hundred plus times, don't be afraid. The message that was about to be delivered truly should dispel fear. Has it for you? Has it dispelled those fears? 1 John uh, 4.18 says, Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with what? What? Yeah, punishment, right? So we trust that Jesus has already been punished so that we can be the righteousness of God. I love this. Daryl Box says, I love this quote. It says, humanity has nothing to fear when God moves in grace. 
The nature of the message is that it is good news of great joy for all the people. And this phrase, good news, becomes the encapsulation of the message. It's, it's the gospel. So when we say gospel, we're, we're, we're talking about what is referred to here as this good news. That instead of rightful judgment of our sin, that would truly be bad news of great fear, we have Jesus. Good news of rescue from that judgment that we deserved. And Jesus took. And in fear's place, the message offers us joy. And this Greek word here for joy is chara. It derives from the Greek word charis, which is also where we get our word grace. It's actually one of the most common words in the Greek for joy. And some definitions that I read of this word, grace recognized, the awareness of God's grace, rejoicing because of grace. And of course, another way of looking at joy is gladness. To be exceedingly glad, gladness of heart. So if we combine these thoughts, we can say that this joy is to be exceedingly glad because of an awareness of God's grace. I don't know if your circumstances are going to make you happy or not. That'll go like this. Right? We all know that. And sometimes life stinks. And it's hard. And people die. And people get sick. And you lose your job. And there's not enough money in the bank. I get that. And then Sometimes you get the promotion. And your 401k is full. And, 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 and you get the big Right? And you know, and you're, yeah! But it goes like this. But real joy is to be exceedingly glad because of an awareness of God's grace. That's where abiding joy comes from. That God is the fountain of all good things. Do you know that joy? And this message isn't for a select few, it's for all the people, for anyone who will hear and receive it. The, the message is always this, here it is, here it is, here it is. I say, you know, Sean, I talk about this a lot, we can't force anybody to do anything. I don't pay you to come here, I don't pay you to minister, neither does, well, all good, all good blessings in, you know, in Christ. But, but, you know, you have to, out of your own free will, decide. You have to decide to be a part of what God is doing. But it's always an invitation. It's always an invitation. It's always an invitation. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Receive it for the first time. Walk in it again today and today and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. It's always an invitation. That's what God is, an invitational God. It's for all the people. It begins with Israel and then extends, as Jesus says, after he, he, he is risen from the dead, before he ascends into heaven, it will go to the ends of the earth. The message itself shows no favoritism and no prejudice. It's as much for a shepherd as it is for a king. It's as much for a woman as it is for a man. It's as much for children as it is for adults. It's as much for a McDonald's worker as it is for a CEO in a Fortune 500 comp company. 
It's as much for Arabs and Asians and Africans and Latinos as it is certainly for Caucasians. It's for all the people. It shows no favoritism, no prejudice. The invitation goes out and goes out and goes out for all who would receive it. The heart of the message is that a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ in the Greek, Messiah in the Hebrew, the Lord. What the angel is saying is that God's salvation, this this means of rescue, has now become a physical reality. In the little seven-pound, whatever he was, baby boy, born in Bethlehem. His child is a savior, the deliverer of the deadly predicament we've gotten ourselves into, of that lostness, that aloneness, that rejection, that really as we walked away from God have severed ourselves from the author of goodness and life. I'm your rescuer, Jesus says. I'm your deliverer. He's Messiah, the the prophesied anointed one that would come in the line of David. Written about hundreds of years before. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. There's going to be an arrival. He's going to come. He's going to be in the line of David. His kingdom will never end. He is that king. And then he is the Lord, which strikingly is the same title that Luke has referred already some 20 times, almost 20 times to this point in his gospel, Luke chapter 2, for who? If you're following me, for God himself. He's talked about God, the Lord, 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 almost 20 times. He says, now this, this Savior comes. He is Christ or Messiah, the Lord. Divinity breaking into humanity. What a weird story. Not a question whether it's weird, it's a question whether it's true. And this Savior has been born not just to his parents, but what? Yeah, to you. So I thought about, I thought about, I remember, I remember I have four children, and I remember when they were born, and I remember holding them, and maybe don't, you don't all experience this, but I just had this, this deep, you know, feeling of, of kind of, of connection and ab- this abiding connection with them the first time. Wow, this child is mine and, and he is he's mine and Cheryl's, D- Cheryl's DNA and we're responsible for this child and I just couldn't quite imagine a stranger popping in the delivery room, right? As Cheryl's all disheveled and tired and I'm holding the baby and, and, and he says, hey, guess what? God just spoke to me and he told me that that baby is as much mine as it is yours. I'd want to punch him in the face, right? Security! Get this guy out of here. But that's the reality of what these angels are saying about this baby. That he was as much the shepherd's as he was Mary's. And he's as much yours if you would receive him as he is Mary's. And all this would be accompanied by a very strange sign. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths in a manger. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You'll find him lying in... So what is the activity that's assumed by the sign? What's that? Yeah, they're going to go look for him. That's the assumption. Here's a sign. 
In other words, it's not just information. Hey, guys, let me tell you about a Savior that's born. Isn't that great? Yeah. I think about, you know, I, I, and, and this is just one little tiny little, I, 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 I preach like Sunday after Sunday, sometimes Daniel preaches, and it's like it's not just for information. It's not just for you to go, oh, that, that was encouraging. That was, that was, oh, that was a nice reminder. Oh, that was, that was a really nice little tidbit that, you know, I hadn't heard, ever heard before. No. The idea is that you'd go from here and search out God and walk with him and, and look for him in unexpected places and live with him. That it would be that it'd be something that expects action. The, 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 our everyday Sunday through Saturday life and eating with our family and driving to work and going to get groceries and, and, and picking up the kids from school and or whatever it is, you know, that, that we'd say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be seeking God out and walking with him in these places. It's not just for information. I'm going to speed it up here. Um, all right, so verses 13 and 14. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with, with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Glory in excelsis Deo, right? That's what it means. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. So what happens here is the message is delivered, and then this is the instantaneous response to the message. It's as if heaven couldn't do anything else but break out in worship. This is the angel's response. And it's delivered. Now remember, there was just one angel and the glory of the Lord, and they are freaked out. And this is not just delivered by one angel, but it's delivered by a heavenly host, what could be translated a heavenly army of angels. John, in, in Revelation 5.11, describes the enormity of a host of angels. He says, Then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousands, thousand times ten thousand. In other words, I couldn't count them, there were so many. And if, so if one brought awe and terror, imagine this. Katie Amig uh, told me that recently, I, think, I hope I'm getting this right, Kyle, that, that some of the One Life students heard uh, the importance of walking with God as you walk with God, that you look upward, inward, and outward. Is that right? Upward, inward, and outward. And I thought, what a beautiful message we get in this concise praise to look upward, inward, and outward. The first portion directs our attention upward. Glory to God in the highest. The, the primary Hebrew word for glory in the Old Testament means what? Yeah, something that's weighty, something that is heavy. Um, the primary word in the Greek means something that is important, exalted, famous. On earth, I thought we get little, little drips of what glory is. Little, little, tiny little drips like of an ocean. And I think like, you know, you go and you see a beautiful sun. See, you think about something that just draws your gaze in and you're awed by it. It's just a beauty. You can't stop looking at it. A beautiful sunrise, a beautiful sunset. Uh, I've never seen the Rockies. The first time you see the Rockies, you'd be like, whoa. You just like, you can't move your gaze from it. Um, even, even maybe uh, a fire might do that. You know, the kindle, wow, look at how the fire moves. Or um, the, an ocean and, and the waves crashing in. You can't see the end of it. And, um, or I just, we just put up our Christmas tree. We were a little late. And, and at night, I'm like a little kid. I keep walking back out of it and like looking at it. 
because there's just something that the twinkling and the, you know, it, especially at night in the contrast of the dark, and I'm like a little kid. It just draws my gaze, and we get these little drips of what glory, what glory is. Um, but God's glory will knock your socks off. God's glory will knock your socks off. The greatest sunset, the tallest mountain, the, the, the most ferocious uh, storm in the ocean doesn't touch it. And with God, glory is both an objective reality. That's what the shepherds experience, the objective reality of God's glory. And it's also the pro- proper response to that reality, that we would give God glory. So it is a of what he lives in because of his nature, because of his character, because of his splendor, but it's also something that we give back to him. It's our appropriate response to give him glory, to exalt and praise the awesome beauty and character and splendor of God that we simply acknowledge that he's glorious. This is what the angels, it seems like one of the big jobs of angels is just to do that. God, you're glorious. You're glorious. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Like that, there's just angels that do that all the time. And this glory is God's glory being manifested in his son. He didn't stay a baby, but that day, man, this little helpless infant, God's salvation. But of course, his glory always is, uh, whether you recognize it or not. C.S. Lewis, I've quoted this before, but it's just a great quote. C.S. Lewis once wrote, A man can no, longer, uh, can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling darkness on the walls of his cell. Later in Luke's gospel, during what we know of as a triumphal entry, uh, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem and people are praising him and, and giving him glory and worshiping him. And the religious leaders say, basically say, yo, Jesus, shut them up. Rebuke them. Why, is he, why were they saying that? Yeah, who is worthy of glory? Who's worthy of glory? God alone. Right? Worship the Lord, the Lord, the Lord God alone. And they're like, praise you, Jesus. They're praising him. Weird scene, right? It's this poor carpenter riding in on a donkey. A lot of weirdness. Yeah, pray. Hey, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes. He's the son of David. He's a promised Messiah. And the, and the, and the religious leaders are freaked out. Tell them to shut up. Rebuke them. And Jesus is like, <laughs> my glory doesn't depend on whether man recognizes it or not, right? He, he literally says, he says, I, I, I tell you, if they keep quiet, <coughs> what? Yeah, the rocks will cry out. Are you giving him glory? It, it's, it's really, it's, whether you recognize it or not, God's glory is. But I'll tell you, it's to your benefit. It is right and it is good and it is wise to recognize and give glory to the glorious one. Amen? That that we would sing his praises and that our lives through each micro choice we make would become more and more in line with the glory of God. And that that his glory would shine through us.
And then the second portion, uh, just, I'm almost done. The second portion of the song uh, directs our attention inward and outward. And on earth, peace to men, that is mankind on whom his favor rests. God's glory is now fleshing out in what Messiah delivers from heaven to earth. Peace. Peace. And again, this is first and foremost, right, the opposite of the things we are afraid of. It, it, it is, as Leon Morris writes it, peace between God and people, the healing of estrangement caused by human evil. That's the peace. That it starts with me reconnecting with God. And then has a triple, triple down effect. That, that I would start being a peacemaker, that, that my, in my marriage there would be peace, in my home there would be peace, that I'd be an instrument of peace in each place that I am, at school, at work, as far as it depends on you, right? As far as it depends on you. Dave, my mic is just talking to me a little bit. And this peace comes to those on whom God's favor, his goodwill, his benevolence, his kind intention, his expressed goodness, his grace, applied according to his good pleasure, rests. Has that peace rested on you? Are you living in it? <laughs> Have you received the message? And then are you walking in it? Are we truly walking in the joy and peace of our salvation? Would people know us and say, hey, they're not phony. They go through rough times. They cry. They grieve. I, I get that. We should. That's all appropriate. We, we admit that there's struggles. But, but that underlying current is I'm aware of God's grace. And because I'm aware of God's grace in my life, I can say he is good, and I trust that he is good even now in this hardship. Do people look at us and say, wow, they are really a people of unexplainable joy? of unexplainable peace. And then the last part of the story, and many of you know it, they, the, these uh, shepherds go out, they, 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 they seek out the baby. Things are just as they were told. You get this beautiful picture of Mary as they visit him, and I'm sure it's like, what? what you know, just delivered this baby. She's, she's pondering these things. She's dwelling these things, treasuring them in her heart. Um, and then these disciples go out and they share, they share what the Lord had told them and how it was true. And it, and it says in the end, in verse 20, that the shepherds return, so they go back to their work, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. So I thought, no, no, you know, in this hustle and bustle, no one else noticed a poor baby to a poor couple born in a, bo in a barn, God's gift from heaven. As God entering into humanity. And it's so easy to miss what God is doing because we're busy and we're hustling and bustling and, you know, and not aware And maybe this week we can enter in 
with our ears a little more perked, our eyes a little more perked of what God is doing, things that we might call weird in strange places, in the places that the world says there's no value there, there's no value there, don't expect something good to come from that place. And God says, that's exactly where I'm going to work. And those are exactly the people I'm going to work through. And in the end, the shepherds become this excellent model of upward and inward and outward. They Upward, they glorify and praise God. Inward, they, they, they go and experience Messiah. They see this thing the Lord has told them about. Outward, they spread the word concerning what has been told them about this child. And they become the first very unlikely witnesses of the gospel and of Christ, of many unlikely witnesses to come. And through them, the God receives his rightful glory. And through them, men, starting with them and then outward to others, receive this message of peace, this good news of great joy for all the people. And I just say, is this the rhythm of our life? Upward glorifying God because he's glorious. Inward receiving and applying to our own lives the reality of his salvation, the joy, and the peace and outward sharing it with others. May this week be a week that we reflect the angel's song, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to, to men on whom his favor rests. May that be our prayer. Amen.